Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Question is, how did Christ love the church? Let's find out, shall we? Our series has us looking at the book of Ephesians, the role of husbands and wives and parents to children. In the middle of it, husbands are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. The question is, how did Christ treat his bride? Well, that's what we'll look at over the next two days. Welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. Won't you join us? Again, we're in the book of Ephesians, focusing in on how Christ treats his bride. With today's edition of Truth For Today, now our teacher and pastor, Pastor Phil Howard. Turn, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 5. I begin with verse 25. Husbands, love your wives all the time. It's a command. It's a present tense. It does not mean kiss them. She doesn't care if you kiss her, if you love her. Notice, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He's never had sex with the church, but he loves the church. And he gave up himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. I want to uh, focus on one basic theme this morning, and it is Christ loved the church. Verse 25. Christ loved the church. I want us to examine that and say, how did he love the church? Because it is senseless to tell men to love their wives as Christ loved the church if you don't know how he loved the church. How has he shown that he loves the church? God's had two great romances in history. His first one was a total failure. It ended in divorce. It was his romance with Israel. And Israel finally he gave her a writ of divorce in Isaiah because she left him for another man. She left him for Egypt, Assyria, and idolatry. 
But when God sent the son, he began another courtship. And he said, in essence, I'll seek to get you a wife that will be true to you and not be unfaithful as Israel broke my heart. I want to give you a bride that will not commit adultery, a bride that will be engaged to you for these 1900 years and remain a virgin, 2 Corinthians 11. I've betrothed you to one, Christ, even as a virgin is engaged. Remain faithful to this Christ. And so we find the two great romances of Scripture is God courting Israel and Christ getting himself a bride, the church. And he is now forming that bride of every kindred, tribe, and tongue, Jew and Gentile, and forming for himself this bride, and eventually will be joined to him formally when we see him face to face. And as it were, the marriage will be consummated at the marriage supper of the Lamb, where the church and Christ will celebrate their great love, so that there's actually, from the oldest of times, the mystery unfolded is God is as intimate and as romantically in love with his people as a bridegroom could be with a bride. And marriage was built upon this model that God could love people as intimately, as closely, as involved as a man and woman in marriage and yet, in the God scheme, there's no physical procreation. There's not the sexual dimension. It is a mystical union between Christ and his people that is in a miniature to be played out in a Christian home that we're to be showing what Christ's love looks like in the male-female component. And it is on a much more elevated level than the mere physical the mere sexual, it's so deep that there's a mystery connected with it. How two become one. How we learn to love a woman like Christ and God the Father even has loved both Israel and Christ loving the church. So I want us just to uh, look at how he has loved his bride and how he is loving us now and in our next message, after our missions conference, I'll pick up the practical application for how we men can emulate that love in our marriage. Uh, let's just, first of all, begin with something. These are very simple. Uh, Christ loves his church. How do I know it? First point, he says so. He says so. His is not a non-communicated love. One of the great frustrations in marriage, one of the most common problems that comes up is non-communication. We don't talk anymore. We don't affirm each other anymore. He watches sports. I take care of the children. And we don't talk anymore. We used to run up $200 a month phone bills in courtship. We used to wear out our hand writing letters. But now you can visit our home and find total silence when it comes to love. But Christ is no silent lover. 
He has said over and over in his word, Ephesians 5, 25, Christ loves the church. Revelation 1, 5, Christ loved us and loosed us from our sins. John 15, no greater love have any man than this, than one should lay down his life for his friends. Over and over, God so loved the world, he gave up his son. Over and over, 66 books of the Bible, over 19 centuries of preachers commissioned, pushed out to tell the world, God loves the church. God loves people. He has said it, said it, said it. There's never been a lack of God saying, I love you. What has been deafening is the resounding silence from the earth. Do you love him back? But when it comes from heaven, he could say through the prophets, I sent you the prophets and you killed them. My last attempt will be, I will send the son of the owner of the land, and you surely will hear him. And the land keepers raised up and stoned even the son to death. God has said over and over and over to his church, I love you. I love you. You're my friends. You're the object of my affections. I've communicated it. Through my word. He's no silent lover. Uh, he has not ever made the church have to keep guessing. Does he love me? He loves me. He loves me not. My, I thank God I've been delivered from that kind of Christianity. I had to every day, you know, pull out and say, he loves me today. He loves me not. Get over it. His is a constant bulldog, steadfast, covenant, unbreakable love. He is not a moody God. He is constant in his affections towards us. Constant. He doesn't love you more because you give a good offering or a small one. He doesn't love you more because you woke up cranky or not. He is constant. The love of God, that constancy about that love is our great anchor in the midst of all the variables of life. It's constant. Our love is like a thermometer it just registers the climate. His is a thermostat. He sets the temperature. It's just, it's constant. So we have a Christ that communicates his love to us. We hear, read a man like Chapman that says the five love languages are Gary Smalley. Uh, God, what love languages do you think God knows? What love languages does God use towards his bride? Share it, touch, sacrifice, gifts, appreciation. There hasn't been, God has gone to a thousand love languages towards us. He has touched us. He's shown love for us. He has sacrificed for us. He's given gifts to us. He has reached us through others. What other love language could you beat than to go to an old rugged cross and watch him love you enough to die? God has shown his love. He's not only said it, but he's shown it. And how has he shown his love towards the bride? I pick up two things. By serving her and by sacrificing for her. 
I think of John 13, 1, at that upper room. He said he wanted to show them the full extent of his love for them. So what does he do? What does God do when he wants to show you the full extent of how he loves you? And we see that magnificent uh, parable of love acted out when he stoops, girds himself with a towel, and begins to wash the feet of men that will betray him that night. One man that's already got the 30 pieces of silver in his hand, and he stoops to serve dirty feet. He stoops to be the servant when he ought to be treated like the king. But he said, I'm here to show you how much I love you. I love you enough to stoop and to meet your most basic human need, just dirty feet. And from there, he says in Ephesians, again, here's a, in the Greek, it's very powerful. It's explosive nearly. Where it says, and he gave himself up for her. It's a word that literally means he turned himself over to God for her. And it's the use of the cross. He was delivered up to death for the church. And the idea is a total voluntary surrender of all that he was. And he said, and he gave up himself for her. And this describes the crossword. I not only will serve you, I will sacrifice all that I am in order to convince you I love you. And it's voluntary. I'm always moved by it in John 10. That when he said, I am the good shepherd. No man takes my life. What do you mean? The Roman soldiers arrested you. They did take your life. The Roman government did kill you. Oh, oh, this was by the predetermined counsel of God, Acts 2, 23. I volunteered to fulfill the determined plan of God, and I yielded myself to Pilate and the court, but I turned myself over. It's the most magnificent word of total abandonment and sacrifice. Total vol The woman is told to submit out of a voluntary spirit. He's saying, I voluntarily gave myself. I was not martyred at the cross. I was not grabbed by a street mob that was out of control. I am God. You can't crucify God without God's permission. I am God in a body. I can walk on water. I can turn stones to bread. I can say, I am, ego I me in the garden. And Roman soldiers fall back. Because they know this is deity that's talking. You can't crucify deity unless it's voluntary. I gave up myself. And he says, for her, a little preposition, huper. For her benefit. There's two Greek prepositions for. One's anti, instead of, in place of. Huper always emphasizes the benefit. I gave myself for her benefit. What I did in a substitute and dying in her place benefited her. So you hear a phrase like this in Acts 20, 28. I have given elders over the church which I purchased with my own blood. Purchase. 
Jesus Christ has shown his church he loves us because our whole foundation is built on his death and resurrection for us. Magnificent, magnificent. That was the beginning of the relationship. I was just reading uh, William Hendrickson on the engagement period and how a Jewish man got a wife. And of course, you know, the parents were involved in the arranging. And it had slipped my mind. I even talked to Dr. Rollins about it. I always thought the girl's family paid the dowry. But uh, as I was reading that history again, he paid a price because they were losing a breadwinner, a household servant, and a daughter. And so the custom was, we're losing a great asset. You're gaining a great asset. You pay the dowry price. So Christ, to get you and I to be his bride, he paid the dowry. And the dowry price was his own life. Of course, in human love, that would be the end. Why die for someone I could never enjoy? If I die, I'll never get to enjoy being with her. But of course, God could pull off a resurrection. He dies, and three days later, he begins to form a people on the basis of his death. Christ loves you. He has said it. He has shown it. He's the servant God. He's the God that has sacrificed for us. No one will ever do more for you than Jesus. He has given the ultimate sacrifice. Uh, I, I think when I go to the cross, I think of what a place to have a date. What a place to be romantic. But at the cross, he was courting a bride. At the cross, he was paying a dowry price. No poem was written about romantic love at the cross. But did you know that through the spit, through the darkness, through the shame, through the nakedness, through the abandonment, God the Son was courting himself a bride. I want to prove once and for all, I love my people enough to first go to the cross. We'll have the honeymoon later. Showing he loves us deeper than we can ever imagine. And when you have your doubts about God's love, if it were possible, I would say take a trip to Calvary. Go back there in your mind. Rehearse what was going on that day. What was in his mind on the cross? And according to Psalms 22, he was already thinking of being reunited to his brethren in the congregation and rejoicing that God had given him a bunch of brothers because he would die. Uh, notice, third thing, and we'll go back to Philippians, that Christ's love is the source of the bride's beauty. Now, that is so different, isn't it, in human courtship. I'd hate to think I had to find a girl and it was on me to make her pretty. You know, what kind of date do you have? A two-sack date. She needs a sack and I need a sack. This girl's so bad, the cats drug her in. Wow, no, no, I, I'm sorry. I don't believe ugly's in. When I go looking for a gal to marry, I, she can be as godly as she wants to be, but there's got to be some kind of inherent beauty somewhere. I'm not in, uh, you know, the Mary Kay business. No, you better be in good shape, honey, when I find you. 
I'm looking for something, you know. I've never been tempted to kiss a cactus bush. I want something that looks good. Now, if that's vain, welcome to a vain pastor here. Please, God, let it be godly, but don't let it be ugly. <laughs> I've been around Christians. Their whole view was keep the women ugly to keep us from lusting. No, no, we don't advise our women to buy sackcloth and stay ugly. That's your problem. God, God loves beauty. And uh, women ought to be beautiful. If you're working at being ugly, get over it. You need to doctor as much as you can. Paint never did hurt the barn. Well, moving right along here, that's too deep. I don't know, I had that built up in my heart. My wife's beautiful, by the way. She always has been, outer and inner man. But notice what Christ's love does for the church. Look at this beautifying process he puts her through. He says, this is the purpose of my love for my bride. I've seen some men, they made their wives ugly. They were a pretty gal before they got married, and marriage has made her sister haggard. Not Merle's wife, just sister haggard. Uh, because the guy's stripping her of all of her beauty. I see that in a lot of marriages. If your wife is getting uglier, guess whose fault it could be? You, the husband, because she is the glory of the husband. She is a compliment. Your wife ought to be looking better because she met you. Give her that Visa card. <laughs> Got to enable you some way. I don't know how, but he, uh, let's say uh, he said, uh, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now notice the purpose of his love is to beautify her. And the first thing he does is make her holy. Now, I love the word holy, but holy sounds kind of drab. Holy, I want a holy woman. Well, what does that mean? Well, let me say something about holiness. Uh, it has several connotations. Its basic meaning is set apart unto, set apart. And, and we use it and it is used many times of set apart from evil. And so it means holiness of life. Our word sanctification comes from it. But there's something about the word holy that means to be set apart as unique. And that's what was happening in Isaiah 6. God says, holy, holy, holy. Well, we're not just saying God is morally pure. He is that. But it's the idea he's set apart. He's set apart. He's set apart. He's in a league all of his own. There's no rivals. No one's like what we're seeing as the seraphim in the temple. He's unique, unique, unique is what you could say. He's set apart, set apart. He's above everything. He's set apart. And guess what the love of Christ does to his bride? He sets us apart as special and unique. He loves his bride like he loves no other person. If you're not in the bride of Christ, he doesn't love you to the depth in the same way as he loves his bride. And he's saying, I've set you apart in a special category in my affection and in my love. Just as a man, by the time he settles down to marry, he can date a lot of girls and there can be millions of girls. But finally, his heart focuses on one. And in his heart, 
There are millions of women on the earth, but there's one woman set apart from my heart that when I hear her name, see her face, hear her voice, there is a unique thrill that goes through my heart even after 39 years of being with her. She is wholly set apart in my affections because I'm a one-woman man. Out of all the women of the earth, God had picked one woman for me for life. And Christ is saying, I have set you apart as my special object of affections for time and eternity. We will never be parted. I will let you sit on my right hand on my throne when I rule over the nations. You'll be there with me in the marriage supper of the Lamb. You'll be there when I make a new heaven and a new earth. And you won't be just some bum that fell into heaven. You will be known as the Lamb's wife. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. Our series is called God's Design for Your Life. As we close the program out, we would invite you to contact us if you would like to obtain a copy for yourself of either today's message or the entire series. Call us today, 855-833-9864. Again, information can be had at 855-833-9864 or simply visit our website, truthfortodayradio.org. If you would like a copy of today's program, a prayer request, maybe you would like to partner with us financially, we would love to hear from you. Call, drop by our website, or write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California, and the zip code is 94547. Thank you so much for joining us today, and until next time, God bless. God bless.